Bitcoin will make civilization sane again. Hey, this is Jonathan Roseland with Marketplace Gold, and this is my book review of a book that I dare say you should move to the top of your list of books to read. I know, if you're like me, that is probably a lengthy list, but sometimes, sometimes a book is good enough. Sometimes the message and the information in it is important enough that it deserves to get pushed up there right to the top. And Bitcoin, hard money you can't F with, is one of them. And yes, I think I'm going to not say the F word in this podcast to keep this a a family-friendly kind of thing. Because I I think Bitcoin is a family-friendly kind of thing. So you're going to want to check out the article version of this podcast. I do have it linked below wherever you are listening to this on MarketplaceGold.com. And in the article, I've got all the good stuff. I've got the links and the sources for everything that I'm talking about. If I make an an assertion here that comes across as bold and you're saying, hey man, where's your evidence for that? Well, it's through the link below wherever you're listening to it. Listening to this, that's where, that's where. So do go check that out. I've got a, I dare say, a beautiful website and I've got some nice uh, graphics and embedded media to go along with this that will uh, complete the uh, the experience here. So, like I said, Bitcoin will make civilization sane again. Let's dive in. This is the first book I've read about cryptocurrency. I should have started reading books about cryptocurrency earlier as I've been into it for about five or six years now. And from this book, I took away something invaluable, hope. Jason A. Williams, the author, gives us a lot of reason to be optimistic about a Bitcoin-powered future. So the author is a Bitcoin maximalist, and you will be too after reading this book. Quote, as we'll discover, Bitcoin is the best form of money ever invented. Not only that, it's the best performing financial asset on the planet, swallowing everything in its path. It will devour government currencies that are printing themselves into oblivion, and it will establish itself as the next global reserve currency. It might take years, decades, but it's happening. And there's one simple reason why. Bitcoin is hard money that you can't F with. Bitcoin is the best performing asset in the last five years. The last 10 years, up 4,000% since 
2015. It's up 16,666, 516% in the last decade. Wow. And fascinatingly, the author operates a factory where he turns old tires into Bitcoin, which the green crowd should really appreciate, but probably doesn't. Okay, let's move on to the main thesis of the book, which is why Bitcoin will be the next global reserve currency. Quote, no one controls it. No governments, no companies, no central bank, no money printing. It's a revolution as big as the internet. And it's never been hacked. This is one thing to remember when you're talking to friends and family, when you're talking to those who are not a true believers quite yet in Bitcoin, is remind them it's never been hacked. Quote, not only was Bitcoin the best performing asset on the planet in 2020, it quietly established itself as the next global reserve currency as central banks around the world desperately printed their money into oblivion. Hard Money You Can't F With, the book, explains Bitcoin in simple, readable terms and maps out how this magic internet money will grow into the best form of money we've ever had. So we'll revisit that topic a little bit later. Important thing to understand, Bitcoin is anti-fragile, to use that awesome word that Nassim Taleb invented. Quote, Bitcoin isn't just a currency or financial system. It's the strongest computer network in history. And it has only one job, protecting hard money. It's a 280 billion bug bounty. 280 billion. That's right. The biggest reward for hackers in history if they could figure it out. And no one's broken it. So why do so many people believe so much in Bitcoin? Well, like I said, it's because it's never been hacked. Exchanges, wallets, and even hardware wallets have been hacked, but not Bitcoin itself. Hackers hack everything hackable if the reward is enough. And the reward for hacking Bitcoin would be billions. The fact that it hasn't happened speaks volumes about the anti-fragility of the blockchain. It's working the way Satoshi envisioned it in his white paper. And I did a podcast, YouTube presentation, just reading out that white paper. So if you haven't read the white paper yourself, go and listen to me reading it. It'll uh, it'll enlighten you a bit. It's, I dare say, the most famous, well-constructed white paper ever. 
So it's working the way that Satoshi wanted it to work. It's more profitable to validate the blockchain than to try to attack it. Satoshi envisioned a a system for digital money that accounted for human nature. Next important point. Bitcoin should be a store of value first. Quote, this is one of the key things I want you to take away from this book. Bitcoin's main use case is not payments yet. The best use case for Bitcoin right now is holding. It's an emerging store of value. New innovations like the Lightning Network are now being built on top of Bitcoin. The Lightning Network allows you to send small amounts of BTC instantly with almost zero fees. The transaction itself is batched with others and later settled on the on the Bitcoin blockchain. In other words, Bitcoin is the slow, steady, secure, reliable settlement layer, a strong, impenetrable fortress, the foundation, and faster payment networks can be built on top of it. This is not designed for buying coffee. It's for settling gigantic payments on the most secure network ever invented. It's designed to be a global currency layer. The world doesn't need another superfast payment system. We have Visa, Venmo, Cash App, M-Pesa. I haven't heard of that, but it's not a great name. M-Pesa? What were they thinking? The revolution is bigger than that. We need a whole new system of money, one that's fair and transparent and open to everyone, censorship-resistant, scarce, and deflationary. As Safadin Amos later wrote in 2017, using Bitcoin for consumer purchases is akin to driving a Concorde jet down the street to pick up groceries, a ridiculous, expensive waste of an astonishing tool. Speaking of the Concorde, are you curious why you can't fly on it anymore, no matter how much Bitcoin you might have? Well, you'll want to check out the Philosophical Deep Dive podcast that I did reviewing the book At Our Wits End, and I simply entitled that one, Why You Can't Fly on the Concorde. Do check out that. Back to the book. Quote, the number of Bitcoin addresses holding at least 0.1 BTC is over 3 million a record high, and the number of whales with over 1,000 BTC has swelled to heights of over 2,000. There are more people opting to store their wealth in Bitcoin than ever before, validating its thesis as a 
store of value. And the arguments made in the book about store of value are compelling. Until I'm convinced otherwise, I'm a small blocker because we need an anti-fragile, bulletproof store of value that can't be effed with a lot more than we need another digital payment tool. For fast, low-fee cryptocurrency transactions, we have Bitcoin Cash. I don't think that Bitcoin's integrity should be compromised so that people can buy coffee with it. Next point from the book. Bitcoin is scarce, and this point is really driven home. It's scarcer than you think. In fact, it's mathematically engineered to become scarcer with time. Over the course of four-year havening cycles, if you're going to get into Bitcoin, you really need to have at least a four-year vision. It may crash and lose value temporarily, but through the halvening cycles, it grows in value. It must. Quote, it's absolutely completely finite. Only one other thing like it exists. Time. I often tell my friends and family, as long as governments are irresponsible, Bitcoin will rise in value. And at this point in history, the one thing we can count on is governments being irresponsible. Inflation is coming to America, at least. It's hard to understate how badly the U.S. government has effed us all by printing so much bloody money. And I've got one of those great inflation graphs that shows just the insane amount of money printing. About the 2008 financial crisis, Bernanke printed $7.7 trillion in emergency loans for the banks in just a couple of years in complete secrecy. That's 10 times more than the original bailout. If people knew this was going on, there would have been riots, or I would say should have been. Now the national debt has soared to unprecedented heights. Quote, we're running at 128% debt to GDP as I write this. Historically, anything over 77% slows down growth according to the World Bank. And anything over 130% is game over. In the last 200 years, 51 out of 52 countries defaulted when they went over 130%. Either a hard default or a massive currency devaluation. We are right on the cliff's edge. And I'll interject here at this uh, 
most precipitous of moments. I disagree with the author by contending that I think a hard default would be great. Why the hell should future generations of Americans be made to pay off the insane amounts of debt that our idiot politicians got us into? Debt is not sacrosanct. As Larry Kudlow, the director of the National Economic Council, said, it's debt is a risk that internationalist bankers chose to take on. I don't see how a sovereign hard default could be worse than the financial straits we're in now. It's also important to point out that the elites love inflammation because they hold hard assets, namely real estate, which just appreciates in value while the outstanding debt remains the same. Let's do an example. Let's say you went back in time and let's say that you bought a house in Berlin, Germany at the end of World War I. You had a mortgage on the property that you had to pay interest on monthly. So 10 years later, or around a decade later, you could get on a boat, travel to New York, sell your wedding ring, for example, to a pawn shop, take the dollars back to Germany, and pay off your loan. In that sort of situation, you'd be pretty pro-inflation also. And the same economic incentive drives the behavior of politicians and financial masters of the universe. And the COVID crisis gave the Federal Reserve just the excuse it needed to go crazy with money printing. Quote, the Fed printed more U.S. dollars in those two months than it did in the past two centuries of America's existence. Seriously, more money printing in a few weeks than almost 240 years. The balance sheet swelled to almost $7 trillion. So if you're an American listening to this, please don't use those stimulus checks that uh, you may have received or you'll probably have the opportunity to receive some of them in the future. Please don't use those stimulus checks to go on vacation, eat out, or buy the latest and greatest smartphone. Pay the bills. You absolutely have to. And put as much as you can into a hedge against inflation investment like Bitcoin or gold-backed cryptocurrency. Next important point. The Bitcoin opportunity has not passed. While I really wish I had those two Bitcoins 
now that I once spent in Barcelona in two weeks back in 2015. This book makes me confident buying Bitcoin at around the $50,000 mark, which I did recently. Quote, Everyone thinks they've missed the boat when they first get into Bitcoin. I started mining seriously in 2015, and I thought I was late. Bitcoin was trading at around $300 at the time. I look back, and I can't believe you could ever buy a whole Bitcoin for $300, let alone $3. Trust me, if you're reading this in 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023, uh, 2024, you're still early. This is a long game. Decades, generations, centuries. Expand your time horizon. We're talking about the next global reserve currency of the world. Today, we're in another era of insane experimental money printing. Like all others in history, it will be brief and it will end badly. But when this one fails, we won't go back to gold. We'll turn to Bitcoin. In almost every way, Bitcoin is harder and better money than Gold. With each halvening, bigger and bigger players get into Bitcoin. Quote, Barry Silbert, the head of Grayscale, which is not a function in Photoshop, that is an investment trust with $8 billion in crypto assets. He hit back pretty hard. This was a debate, I think, with Peter Schiff. He said, There's a generation shift in investor mindset happening. Over the next 25 years, 68 trillion of wealth is going to be handed down from boomers. It's not going to stay in gold. A lot of it will go into Bitcoin. In regards to bigger players getting into Bitcoin, In 2020, it was institutions of high finance, banks, pension funds, and hedge funds. In 2024, it will be nation states. Quote, I guarantee someone out there, a president or central banker or treasury secretary, is nervous about their country's fiat currency reserves. Nation states are just groups of people. If you and I are worried about fiat devaluation, then so is someone in power. It's going to happen. One day, a legitimate nation state will announce a Bitcoin reserve, and it will shock everyone. Remember, there's a huge first mover advantage here. MicroStrategy's Bitcoin investment triggered a $100 billion profit in just a few months. 
the first legitimate nation states to adopt Bitcoin as a reserve asset will reap the rewards. And it won't be the US or China or the UK or Germany. It will be a country like the Ukraine. Nothing to lose. A effort. Let's try something different. Hail Mary. A bit like MicroStrategy itself. It was never going to be Facebook that added Bitcoin to its reserves first. It was going to be the quiet underdog, the forward thinker looking for ways to break through and innovate. And in this nation-state adoption of Bitcoin proposed here, the underdog I'm rooting for is Bulgaria, where I call home. Quote, the Bitcoin network will become the ultimate global settlement layer of the new digital economy. No more power games and politics. It's neutral and impartial, settled in hard currency, not credit or an IOU. No politics, no sanctions, no allegiances. It's fair and transparent. A financial system that even enemies can agree has value. They can still convert back to their own currency at the other end. It's the, it's the uneffable Bitcoin rails that matter. The opportunity to buy Bitcoin, hold it, and get rich will have reached its zenith when the world, when it becomes the world reserve currency. Let me repeat that because it's an important contention that I make. The opportunity to buy Bitcoin, hold it, and get rich will have reached its zenith when it becomes the world reserve currency. So if you're listening to this and that has not happened yet, then opportunity beckons. Over the coming years and decades, as smart money flees the US dollar and Western civilization learns a painful and prolonged lesson about socialism, those who buy Bitcoin at 50,000 or even 100,000 will look pretty smart. So what the hell are you waiting for? You know what they say about the best time to plant a tree. Next important point. History is rhyming. Quote, all the countries fighting in World War I dropped the gold standard. Britain, with the world's dominant currency, started borrowing money for the first time. Germany lost the war and the economy was crippled. Worse, they had to pay reparations. 132 billion gold marks, about $33 billion or 100 tons of gold at the time. On top of the black hole of debt they built up during the war, Germany now had to borrow even more money to pay the reparations. 
it was a chokehold on the German economy, and people lost all faith in the currency. During the Trump presidency, you probably grew weary of hearing ridiculous Trump-Hitler comparisons. The much more accurate historical comparison is modern-day America and 1920s Weimar Germany. Insane amounts of debt, degeneracy, inequality, and inflation resulted in the worst war in human history. At least 50, bil 50 million lives were lost. So I'm glad to not be living in America, where I'm from. The book comments on Bitcoin versus war. Throughout the 20th century, wars were fought on printed money and debt. No one asked your permission to do it. They promised a quick, cheap invasion. Bush estimated $50 billion for Iraq. They printed the money, loaded up the deficit, and went off to war. The costs always spiral out of control. Iraq ended up costing at least $2 trillion. That's amazing how much they underestimated it. But Bush never came back and asked you to approve the next check. They just printed more and added trillions to the national deficit. Future generations will pay it back, right? Under a Bitcoin system, none of this would be possible. You can't just print more Bitcoin to raise a war chest. You'd have to go out and directly tax it from people, or at least get agreement from the public to borrow it. If Bush burned through the first $50 billion for Iraq, he'd have to come back to the public and ask for more. What do you think people would say to that? Hell no. Whenever people praise American, de American democracy, I'm moved to retort that democracy is, at this point, a total farce. We've gone through several election cycles now with the vast majority of the population opposing our wasteful, pointless, forever wars in the Middle East and politicians promising the end of them. And what do we get? More wars that the public despises. That's not democracy. The really good news is that these sorts of wars simply couldn't be funded with Bitcoin. Quote, under a Bitcoin system, there are consequences for acting irresponsibly. No money printer to bail you out. Banks, companies, and governments would be better capitalized. Just like you've got an emergency fund for your family. Institutions would be forced to run their books with a stronger emergency fund. 
it's not much to ask. Much of the insanity that civilization is currently plagued by is a trickle-down effect of the money-as-debt fractional reserve legacy financial system. Like many, I call it the beast system. It's the end-game boss that humanity must beat for a fighting chance at becoming a Kardashevian type 1 civilization. And while Bitcoin as the global reserve currency won't fix all that ails us, it will be a whole lot less beastly. Dystopia incoming. One of my favorite podcasters, philosopher Stefan Molyneux, often predicts that in the future, society will be divided into two classes, those with Bitcoin and those without it. Those without it will subsist on scraps of universal basic income tossed their way by the elites. They'll own nothing and they really won't be happy. The government will tax the middle class, those with real estate, stocks, and savings out of existence and print dollars until they're toilet paper to try to pay for UBI. Those with Bitcoin will just have to do their best to avoid onerous taxation of their wealth. I know which class I'd rather be. I'd rather be in the the class that can enjoy a nice uh, grass-fed steak dinner from time to time. On Christmas Day 2020, I released a speech entitled The Winter Solstice of Civilization about the new dark age we are entering because of global IQ decline. You're definitely going to want to check out this speech. It is linked, the video, you can find it in the article that is linked below wherever you're listening to this podcast. And that might all sound pessimistic, but it's not all bad news. If you can make yourself anti-fragile enough to survive this new dark age, if you don't get cancer from the 5G tower that they want to install next to your house and you manage to not get trampled in the street during a gay pride parade, well, there's hope for a really bright future. Which brings us towards our conclusion. I want to talk about the golden age of capitalism. And the golden age of capitalism happened thanks to the ascendancy of the U.S. dollar in the second half of last century. Quote, There was stability around the world with gold and the dollar acting as a secure peg. And it was one of the most prosperous times in history. It's known as the golden age of capitalism. 
the post-war boom. And it's because of the dollar. The world finally convened around a new global reserve currency backed by gold. Trade flourished. As we know through history, whenever rival tribes or countries agreed on a new universal form of scarce money, whether it was barley or gold coins or wampum, the economy boomed. As Bitcoiners say, fix the money, fix the world. And we can look forward, my friends, to an even brighter golden age with Bitcoin as the world reserve currency. Stay healthy, avoid falling pianos, and you can expect to live long enough to see it. I, for one, intend to salsa dance with my wife on the peak of Olympus Mons on Mars. And dollars are not going to get us there. Will they, babe? No. Of course not. Absolutely not. So there's a lot of reason for pessimism about the near-term future, the next few decades. But after reading this book, I'm ultimately optimistic about this century. I think that cryptocurrency will be the vehicle that gets us to a freer, saner future. So I gave Bitcoin hard money that you can't F with five stars. And I'd urge anyone interested in cryptocurrency to read this book. It's engaging, witty, and informative with some really great chapter titles. And it gives me the emotional fortitude to get through the uh, shocking and dramatic price swings that Bitcoin is prone to. So I do hope that you all check that out. And I'm curious what other books about Bitcoin I should read. I gave you an idea of uh, what this book covers. So if there's some other books that are covering different territory, I would be open to sticking my nose in those. I'm Jonathan with Marketplace Gold. Looking forward to a continued conversation with you.